G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are going to discuss the recent disappearance of a Chinese human rights campaigner who has raised fears that the Communist Party in China is strengthening its grip and Christians are beginning to feel the heat of growing persecution. Gao Zhang, a committed Christian human rights attorney and religious liberty advocate, has been discovered by supporters being held in a secret prison in Shaanxi province, held in solitary confinement. Well, this case, along with the forced removal of crosses that mark the presence of house churches and the rollout of facial recognition cameras nationwide, appear to be signs that freedoms that had been developing in China now may well be suppressed. Well, it's always a pleasure to welcome to 2020 Elizabeth Kendall, who's an international religious liberty analyst and advocate. She serves as Director of Advocacy at Canberra-based Christian Faith and Freedom and is an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at Melbourne School of Theology. She's written a couple of books. We'll talk about those shortly, but I want to make a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Elizabeth Kendall. Oh, hello, Neil. Thanks for having me back. Well, Elizabeth, always enjoy our conversations, not because we talk about fun things, but because we talk about very serious and substantial things, and we are going to get a focus today on China. Now, China, for the first time since the death of Chairman Mao four decades ago, has the potential for a new and rising personality cult around the president. You've been monitoring this as it's been happening. Uh, What are your thoughts about this potential new personality cult rising in China? Yes, well, I've been writing on this for several years now. Uh, Xi Jinping, as soon as he became president, so he was uh, in, in at the end of 2012, it was confirmed that he would be the president of China and he assumed office then in March 2013. He immediately started work on on a program, I think it was always his plan, that he was going to make himself into the new Chairman Mao, the new Mao, the new, um, they call him the the chairman of everything because he has become the chairman, not just of the Communist Party, but of everything. And, uh, And right from the beginning, he started purging everyone in the Communist Party who who disagreed with him on on any issue, was all done under the cover of anti-corruption. So it all sounded wonderful, but these people were just, these officials were just disappearing. They were all getting sacked and charged with all sorts of crimes and just disappearing off into the, the Netherlands. He's also been experimenting, I believe, with various levels of persecution and repression. So it's always uh, localized or it's focused on one person Um, and to me it's like a testing of the waters and this has been going on for the last five years and and now he's been um, 
re-confirmed uh, as going to be, he's going to be taking another five-year term. But he did something very interesting. Normally when a Chinese president comes up for his second five-year term, they always introduce their, um, you know, their potential successor is introduced and elevated along with him. Well, that didn't happen this time. So there's quite a bit of concern that he really does intend to be the emperor of, you know, emperor of China for life. And, uh, there are many images of him beside Chairman Mao being distributed as souvenirs, uh, posters. Um, his face is everywhere. There's a real cult of Z developing. And there's even, there was a story recently of Communist Party officials going to a tree that he had planted uh, like 12 months ago or something and fawning over this tree, noticing how it was especially big and it had grown especially leafy and especially green because it had been planted by 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 Xi Jinping. So, and this is uh, really developing and his power is now something that China has not seen since the days of Mao. Now, Elizabeth, as I understand it, the Chinese people actually like what's happening going on in China at the moment because this idea of stability and prosperity, uh, even the word democracy, as I understand it, being used, and uh, this reference to Xi Jinping as uh, Xi Dada or Papa Xi, mm. uh, this sort of uh, fatherhood type figure. Uh, when you've got people who have such adulation for their leader and when you've got the situation as you've just described uh, where he's been uh, maneuvering everything around uh, even minimizing uh, his rivals and new talents that are on the rise and some people saying being ruthlessly crushed mm. uh, you've got the people actually loving what's happening with this sort of uh, idea of stability but uh, there's dangers as we look in I guess from the outside well, I think people could, would be quite surprised to realise the degree to which human beings uh, love uh, money and prosperity more than they love freedom. Um, you know, we sort of take our freedom for granted here in the West and uh, even we, we really take it for granted. We don't realise quite how precious it is and how absolutely important it is we're not a democracy without freedom i mean we're not it, that's just you, you can't have non-freedom and democracy in the same sentence but um the, you know in a country like china the the thing people want primarily is uh stability and prosperity and if that means that you 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 sacrifice freedom on the altar well so be it but it has serious implications for you know, for the human rights workers, for journalists, for writers, for artists, for Christians, especially Christians who speak. So there will be many Christians who say, who will say, okay, we're going to buckle down and just get on with, with preaching the gospel and building up the church as quietly as we can, uh, keeping the faith strong, and that's good, uh, that's fine. But you will always have Christians who will lift their head above and say, what the government is doing is wrong. And they're the ones that, that well, I was going to say they are going to suffer, but they are suffering already. It's already begun. 
Elizabeth, at the risk of allowing a real divergence away from our focus on China today, I can't help but draw attention to a sentence you just used, the idea that you can't have non-freedom and democracy in the same sentence. They just don't go together. And yet this is on a very the very day at which uh, our freedoms in Australia are being debated right now in the House of Representatives and uh, they are likely uh, to be swept away with this legislation for same-sex marriage. And and I don't want to uh, have our entire conversation dominated by that, although listeners might have their own thoughts. But what are your thoughts, uh, just quickly, as we do divert, because this idea of freedoms, uh, we've got our own challenges here in Australia, as there are challenges and perhaps not so significant as they are in China, or are they? What are your thoughts on the freedoms that are being debated today? Well, I think that they, I think it's really significant. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they think of persecution, or particularly religious persecution, they tend to think of um, Islamic jihadists rampaging through the streets wanting to cut people's heads off. They think of ISIS. And uh, mainly because that's on our news and it's spectacular and it captures our imagination. But, you know, the, the persecution that is going to come upon the West and has begun and is going to develop is going to be much more like the Soviet era persecution and Chinese persecution. It's going to be um, Marxist and atheist at its core, and it's going to be driven by ideology. So I was just having a quick look, and I can't find it, but there's a fantastic quote, I'll find it when I don't need it, um, by uh, Alexander Lukashenko. Now, he's the president of Belarus, which is regarded as the last, Soviet regime. It's still hanging on from the Cold War. Here's the, the last one. And he once said that um, ideology is like immunization. Uh, you must enforce ideology to uh, immunize the state against error and uh, diseases that will make everybody sick. And by which he meant, really meant, first and foremost, uh, democracy and Christianity and all those things that go against his his uh, his uh, Marxist approach, and that's what happened. That's what happened in the Soviet Union under Soviet communism. That's what's happening in China too. There's a state ideology that is imposed on everyone, and to show any dissent is just not tolerated. And we're just beginning to uh, dip our toes into that water. And I think we're going to start to see more and more people who dissent and who oppose the state ideology in Australia uh, are going to be punished for it. But, you know, they'll be fined. And, uh, and, and gradually, things develop gradually. You know, it starts with fines and uh, you don't pay your fine. Then you might go to prison, not because of your religious belief, but because you didn't pay your fine. And then precedents are set, and and it, you know these things happen over the course of years and sometimes even decades. But it's begun. We're we're now putting our foot in that into that pond, and uh, where the state is going to tell us what is acceptable thought, and if you don't if you don't advance it, you don't think it, you dissent against it, you're going to be in trouble. Well, let's reflect on the Cultural Revolution under Mao Zedong for a few moments because uh, during that Cultural Revolution, and we're talking about 40-odd years ago, 
when child was uh, set against parent, uh, student against teacher, uh, neighbor against neighbor. And we might see some of that emerging here in Australia, but this is the sort of thing uh, that 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 actually coloured the Cultural Revolution, and that sort of thing would be set to return if there is a crackdown on Christianity in places like China. Oh, absolutely, and uh, it's already it's already started. Um, now, I wrote a piece uh, oh, last in twenty sixteen. I'll put it up and I'll get the date. It's called, um, it's on my Religious Liberty blog. It's from October 2016, where I point out that the, the, uh, the cross removal program, so the campaign to get crosses out of the Chinese skyline that was undertaken in the province of Zhejiang and particularly in the city of Wenzhou, which is known as China's Jerusalem because it's especially Christian, has a high percentage of Christians and Christian business people who have made the city rich uh, and therefore had some had leeway for a while until uh, President Xi decided he would crack down. And, uh, the, and the Communist Party started a campaign to what I call to de-Christianize the skyline, to get all the crosses out of the skyline. And they forcibly removed the crosses. And when the pastors from the official state churches, the three self-patriotic movement churches, communist-approved churches, when they spoke out and said, this is not right, what you're doing is not right, you're sending pastors to jail, you're beating up Christians and sending them to hospital because they don't want their cross taken down, it's not right, they ended up in prison on corruption charges. So the government went after its own pastors and locked them up you know, on these spurious corruption charges. Now, I maintained back in October of last year that this was just an experiment. And if it worked in Zhejiang, if they got away with it, that is, if the international community didn't say, right, well, we're going, we aren't going to let you do this, if they can get away with it in, in the most Christian province of China, they can get away with it anywhere. And, all, and we've now seen this uh, develop we're seeing the same sort of cross-removal programs beginning to um, show signs that they're going to be implemented elsewhere. We've seen legislation that that might be the case, and we've seen the rolling out of uh, facial recognition cam- cameras across the country, to, and they've gone into the churches. So I, I really expect the crackdown that we saw in Zhejiang from 2014 through 16, when it was most severe, is going to be rolled out nationally. I have no doubt about that. And I believe the same with the human rights lawyers. And interesting to just uh, pause and reflect for a moment on the idea that the state can put facial recognition cameras inside the church uh, you would have to say the only motive for that would be for ultimately control and a crackdown that may be imminent. Uh, we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. Uh, we are talking freedoms. We are focusing on China. You might have your own thoughts to contribute. Our talkback line is open. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Elizabeth Kendall is our guest and international religious liberty analyst. We are talking about persecution. Our focus is on China. 
And there are also freedoms that we are losing even today in the House of Representatives. You might like to contribute to our conversation. 1-800-316-316. Let's talk about, Elizabeth, some of the sophisticated technological ways that a government can monitor and control Christian believers because this is being rolled out in China and, as we mentioned, the idea of facial recognition camera technology installed in churches to monitor who's coming and who's going. This is very, very significant and could easily be rolled out in any nation. What are your thoughts on what's happening there in China? Yes, well, what what they're doing in China is that China has excelled in this whole area of uh, cyber warfare um, and cyber monitoring. Uh, They're probably the world leaders in in this whole area. So they have now got the most advanced facial recognition software. And uh, I did a prayer bulletin on this um, earlier in the year called Big Brother Invades the Church. And, And these cameras are being installed in churches. People don't have any say in it. The churches are objecting, they're redirecting them so people, because sometimes they're installed over the offering, you know, box and things like that and they're, they're, so people are getting up and redirecting them to the ceiling and they're trying to resist it as best they can. But they're all over the place, there's millions of them. And these facial recognition cameras are so advanced that in some cities where they've been testing them out, if you jaywalk across the road so you cross without a little green man right you cross against the lights a your fat your face and your name and your address and your details will come up on the board you know the 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 lit up board that's at the at the cent at the crossroads and it will tell you and tell everyone that you have been caught jaywalking and that you are going to be fined if you do it again so well, it is that that instant. Now the the Communist Party says, well, we're we're picking up criminals this way. We're finding them, you know, all over the place and everything. But it's much more than that. They're actually going to set up, or they have started to do it up, I believe, what they call a social credit system. So masses and masses of data is being collected on individuals where they shop, and it's got to the point that now. If you go into a store, the facial recognition cameras will recognise you and tell you what you need and where you can get it. (laughs) It is that advanced. But this is collecting data all the time for a social credit system. So you can earn good credit and bad credit. And you earn credit by doing all the right things and you get bad credit by doing the wrong things. And, of course, if the government says they don't want you going into you know, particular churches or putting money in, in, the, in any church offering box, that this is going to earn you negative credit uh, or, or anything to do with uh, your Christian activity will earn you negative credit, you've got problems. And you might find then that you cannot leave the country when you need to for a conference. You cannot travel to another, to another province. Maybe your children won't be able to get into university because of all your negative credit. This is really serious. And this is going to be used in the years ahead to seriously control the people. And uh, it'll have a huge impact on Christians. 
Some will say when you can be caught for jaywalking or stealing something or a traffic offence that uh, if you're not committing those crimes, then, uh, you know, uh, you're going to be fine. Uh, You'll be happy. But when it comes down to where you worship, what you think, what you buy, uh, this does... It clearly is. Uh, there's no dispute. Uh, this is Big Brother in action. But when we think of Big Brother, we don't always think of it being applied to Christians. And Christians, I imagine, would be primary targets because Christians have a tendency, because we have the Bible, uh, that we recognize the freedoms that we are accustomed to as Christian believers uh, ought to be talked about and ought to be implemented freedom for people to have freedom of conscience, freedom of thought, freedom of religion. That was something that we would hold very close to ourselves. So not having those is is really quite a challenge. Absolutely. And I've made this point when I've been in conversations with uh, people at the Defense, Department of uh, Foreign Affairs and Trade. And we've ma- I've made this point that you go into a country like Laos and Vietnam, especially Vietnam and China, the human rights lawyers and the human rights bloggers and the human rights activists are disproportionately Christian. So you might have a country like China where, uh, like, we believe it's about 10% Christian, but you've got about 25% of all the leading human rights lawyers are Christians, and half of those are in prison. (laughs) And they are in Vietnam as well. You've got leading human rights lawyers in prison, and many of them are Christians. So it's a disproportionate percentage compared to to the population, you know, overall. Because Christians care about righteousness and justice. And, you know, it's going to be in Australia, it will be the Christian passion for righteousness as it is defined by God that is going to set it against um, an increasingly uh, godless uh, and amoral Marxist state ideology. Because they're going to say, no, what you're suggesting is not good. It's not righteous. It's, it's uh, going to take us in a bad direction. And Christians should become uh, uh, probably overrepresented amongst dissident thinkers against the, the government, if that's the direction that, that things go. So in China, this is what we see. We see Christians uh, leading the way uh, in human rights work, and the government um, is cracking down on them. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yes, I have a question to ask according to what you see. What are the things that you want to do that will give you a, a credit or positives that you'll be able to get credit from anywhere? What are the things that they expect you to do? And what are the things that you're doing that they will discredit you and see you get negative? And your children may be causing not to enter any university in China. Okay. Did you catch uh, that, Elizabeth? Uh, yes, what are the I things? Uh, what are the things that uh, take credits away and give you credits if you are part of a social credit system where persecution is is likely? Well, I, they haven't actually sort of published a, a, a list. I think the thing is to see that they will be giving positive credit to people who do the things that please the party. They follow the party line. 
they drive well, they're, they're, they have a good record in their workplace and, and they have the right ideology and they say the right things and do the right things. Uh, and negative credit will come from uh, saying things that, sh- that uh, the P- Communist Party doesn't agree with, things that go against Communist Party ideology. So any sort of resistance... So maybe if you attend one of the state churches, one of the Communist Party approved churches, that will be okay. You might even get positive credit for that. But if you're seen entering a place that is known to be a house church or where the government knows that there is a, um, an, an evangelical unregistered Bible teaching conference going on, you will earn negative credit. If you speak out against uh, communist ideology or communist repression as a human rights uh, writer or blogger, you'll earn negative credit. So it's going to be pretty much along whether you are for or against uh, President Z's program, I would think. Thank you so much to Jonathan from Perth in WA. The walls will have ears. We're just about 90 seconds out from news. Time for a quick call from Robin in Longreach in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Uh, need to be Hello. quick. What are your thoughts? Um, just that I was talking to a client recently and he told me that he's just been to China on business and they seem to be the happiest people that he's met. And my husband was talking to someone who'd been to Vietnam recently and they said the same thing. And um, so it's it's easy to see that like it's kind of like the frog in the in the pond, you know. They they're slowly getting um, treated to this kind of way of life, so that they get used to it. And, Robin, um, good thoughts there. A thirty second response from Elizabeth Kendall. And yes, that's exactly how it happens, and that's exactly how it's going to happen here too. And most of the people who couldn't care less about Christians being cracked down upon, they're going to start feeling differently when it comes around to them. You know, when they complain because someone they love has been affected and they become regarded as a dissident. And usually these things take time. And the frog in the pot analogy is absolutely right. Elizabeth Kendall, let's turn some attention to the Chinese attorney who was imprisoned and was released just a few years ago. People thought that he was going to be crushed uh, by the regime and uh, his Christian uh, advocacy silenced. Uh, But let's talk about this uh, Chinese uh, man we can call Gao. Uh, What are your thoughts on what's happened to him of recent times? Well, just like, as I said earlier, uh, President Xi Jinping uh, did this cross-removal campaign in... um, in, in Wenzhou, and I believe it was like a testing of the waters to see if he could get away with it. And I believe he's done the same with, with Gao. Now, Gao Xisang is, is an internationally recognised uh, human rights attorney, right? He's been uh, recognised by uh, Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch. China, the Chinese government itself, in about 2002, I think, or something like that, uh, awarded him as one of China's top 10 lawyers. So he's no small fry. He's not just some little guy working out of a somewhere. He's a significant human rights attorney. He's also a devout Protestant Christian. And he, he, uh, he, he got onto the wrong side of the government in about uh, 2004 when he started defending house church pastors 
who were being sent to labour camps and, and who were being abused, and Falun Gong. Uh, they're not, Falun Gong is uh, sort of like a, an exercise movement, really, more than it is a religion, but it's a practice, and I think it's the fact that people meet together in large groups and talk, and it creates community networks that the, that the Communist Party doesn't like. And uh, the Communist Party moved against Falun Gong, and uh, uh, Gao Zhisang was the lawyer who really rose to defend them. And it's really, it's, it's incredible, actually. I'll just tell this little story. It's sort of a bit off track, but yep. I was at a meeting up at the, in Canberra at the Department of Foreign Affairs and, and Trade, and one of the uh, gay rights activists was really uh, expressing these hostile anti-Christian uh, so, uh, exp uh, you know, uh, expressions uh, every chance that she had she would lash out at another one uh, and she would lash out at me as the only Christian in the room and she would say things that were just awful and at one point the uh, Falun Gong the person representing Falun Gong had just decided he'd had enough of it and he stood up in his seat and he said you know, I must tell you that we, had, the Falun Gong have suffered so much in China. And, and he said, the only people who have supported us have been Christians. Mm. And he spoke about Gao Zhisang and how he was the one who stood up and supported their right, their religious freedom and, that, and uh, spoke against human rights that they suffered. And, and he said he was a Christian and he was the only one that cared. And the Christians were the only one, have been the only ones that care. And it was it was a, a wonderful moment actually, but he put his he put his life on the line to do that to stand for religious freedom and human rights in China, and he has paid the most incredible high price for it. Uh, he was arrested and tortured severely in 2006. He's been in and out of these black prisons. A black prison is a prison where nobody knows where it is. They're sort of they're secret. Uh, no one goes in, the lawyers can't go in, the Red Cross can't go in, uh, no one really knows what, what's going on inside. They're secret uh, prisons. And he's been in and out of these prisons, disappeared for long periods. He was released from three years in secret detention in August 2014. Uh, and it turned out he'd spent all three years in solitary confinement in a little cramped, basically like a box type cell. Um, not only was he having trouble walking, uh, his head was falling out, his teeth were falling out. And this is a 50-year-old man, and uh, he was having difficulty even stringing a sentence together. And the BBC and others said, oh, he's been utterly destroyed. And a lot of his supporters were very concerned that that he couldn't even put a sentence together, that his brains had been, been sort of scattered. But he, you know, he'd been, he was placed under house arrest in a remote location and uh, he got himself back together and he started writing secretly. And over the next few years, uh, he secretly wrote a, a compendium of human rights abuses in China and he wrote a, a biography of what he suffered uh, including all the details of his torture. And, and a small bit of that can be found online, actually, a, a description of his torture. And uh, he's, now back in, he's now back in detention in a solitary confinement 
and being kept, we've discovered, in total darkness all the time. So he was discovered having written a memoir, mm. a 40-page report on human rights in China, exposed some things, and then that was smuggled out of the country. And that's why you know about it, Elizabeth Kendall, because there is information that gets out. But when it's discovered that information has gotten out and it reflects poorly on the regime, then the regime takes this action which then brings him back into prison and back into solitary confinement. And that's where he is today. Oh, yes. It's just it's unthinkable. Um, if you, He wrote a piece um, um, maybe 10 years ago, his torture that he'd suffered. And it's it's... I've never read anything like it in my life. Um, th- this is what happens when people... This is what human beings can do when they are without restraint, when they are filled with hatred, filled with power and guaranteed impunity, and they have no restraints. And, uh, you know, this man has really suffered. And even beyond the torture, to spend three years in solitary confinement is just soul-destroying. But the government, you know, the government didn't have him accidentally die. They could have. He could have maybe just, you know, died of old age or had a bit of a heart problem and never come out. But that's not what happened. In August 2014, he came out publicly and everyone, you know saw him and as far as I was concerned at, I wrote about it at the time I said this is a, is a government sending a message to all of China's human rights lawyers that this is what happens if you criticize the Chinese Communist Party uh, you know they could have shut him up forever by disappearing him forever and, oh, and burying him but they didn't they brought him out and it reminds me of, you know, like the Lord's Resistance Army that doesn't kill people. It cuts their noses off. And they live as these walking monuments of, of horror. And that's what the Chinese party was doing by releasing him and allowing him to be seen in, in uh, 2014. And you and mentioned, only, uh, Elizabeth, you mentioned that a lot of, that. A lot of these, uh, these uh, advocates are, in fact, lawyers. Uh, they're human rights lawyers, and there's a disproportionate amount of them are Christians. Uh, is that significant to understand that? And, of course, we're talking about Gao's story, and is this a common story with a lot of other human rights advocates? Uh, yes, it is. It's the case not just in China, but also in Vietnam, and uh, and where Nguyen Van Dai, who's, uh, who's Vietnam's leading human rights and religious freedom uh, advocate and lawyer who's also like like Gao Xizang in China he's recognized by in, by international groups like Human Rights Watch and he's been celebrated by them he's back in jail again he was only out he was in prison for five years uh, for reporting on religious um, abuse uh, so persecution by the Communist Party against Christians you know violence where they send their communist thugs out to, to bash pastors um, he was reporting on this and he ended up in jail for, for five years for propagandizing against the state and while he was um, not long after he came out he was rearrested and he's back in jail now he's never been charged with anything but he's been in prison for going on two years now in Hanoi and the the 
in fact, now with the great, um, there's been an environmental disaster in Vietnam, and uh, the the government is not compensating the people who have been affected by it, and it's priests actually, it's Catholic priests who are leading the movement to to get their claims for compensation registered in the courts and are speaking up to the government saying you need to compensate all these people who have lost their livelihoods. So Christians, if they really are going to follow Jesus and in terms of righteousness and justice and, and, uh, and truth, they're going to find themselves on the wrong side of, of oppressive violent uh, regimes. Elizabeth, let's take this even a step deeper. And you might be thinking, how do you go deeper than some of these horrendous things that we're hearing as activities against Christian believers in China? Well, China AIDS annual persecution report uh, from last year showed that Christian persecution rose 20% on the previous year. So uh, there's affirmation there that persecution's on the rise. The number of Christians imprisoned... I think we might have lost Elizabeth. Uh, we'll uh, we'll just get Elizabeth back on the phone. I'll, uh, I'll have uh, John, who's uh, working on our phones, do that. John, if you can uh, see if we can get Elizabeth back. Uh, let me come back to that, where the number of Christians imprisoned went up nearly 150%. Officials with the Chinese Communist Party, which is officially atheist, also called for the forced demolition of churches and the removal of church crosses. And uh, when we talk about just how these sorts of issues of persecution develop, these are some of the things that are happening in China today. Uh, the report also noted that Christians may have been killed for their organs. A grisly practice used mainly on adherents of the organization that Elizabeth was talking about, Falun Gong, a form of traditional meditation uh, during the 1990s that made up approximately one-twelfth of the population, according to some estimates. Uh, so you've got Falun Gong and you've got Christians being uh, used, uh, killed for their organs, a practice which, in fact, uh, sounds to us to be uh, just horrific. Uh, Elizabeth Kendall, you're back with us. Yes, I am. Thank I, you. Uh, I've just been uh, filling a little bit of time there, but setting the scene uh, for a comment from you, because the idea of Christians being killed for their organs, I know we've spoken about this on another occasion, but this is another area of depth because when you say, well, what happens to the Christians if they're identified, if they've got uh, negative uh, social points, uh, what happens for those who are uh, considered to be dissenters to the communist regime? Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you have any detail about the idea of Christians being killed for their organs? Um, the main uh, research that has been gathered is not, I don't think it's really focused on Christians and I don't, I'm not aware of any Christians who have been killed in that way or have been executed by the state. But we do know that our Falun Gong members have been executed and we also know because of the work of, particularly because of the work of Harry Wu, um, that, uh, you, that in China, um, the organs of prisoners are sold while they're still alive. 
that it, that it is a, a trade that takes place. I don't know if it's still taking place, but it has been in, in the past. As that's, that's definite. Um, in the past, uh, well, Harry Wu was the one who did most of the research into this and found that um, dealers could go into the prisons and they could say, oh, that, that guy looks pretty strong and healthy and look at his medical charts and they, you know, it's main, these are mainly people who are, have um, uh, sentences, uh, capital sentences, you know, capital crimes. And so they've, they've been sentenced to death, but they're still alive. And, and so and a dealer can go in and say, look, I'd really like the, the kidneys and corneas and whatever you, you can give me from this fellow. And, uh, and they would get them. And this, this became a roaring trade, and I, I don't know the degree to which it's been brought under control. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Elizabeth Kendall, religious liberty analyst, is our guest. And just a few minutes, Elizabeth, to perhaps draw some loose ends together. I wonder whether, as we're talking about even what's happening in Australia, the loss of freedoms, freedom of religion, which is being debated even as we speak in the House of Representatives, whether that ought to be concerning for us. Uh, And given that when you've got a democracy and that's been based on freedom like we have, but ideologies begin to sweep all parties who are involved in the democracy is what we're seeing in China a possibility to happen in Australia? What are your thoughts in general? Well, I think that, that, that what's the situation in China, like the situation in the Soviet Union, that is uh, where you have a Marxist, atheist ideology at the helm, that is, a, <clears throat> that is the sort of direction that we're heading. So, I mean, I think we're a little bit of a way off, but we're starting. It's beginning. As I said before, we're putting our toes into that pond. And I really hope that the churches can be revived, that we can come alive and we can start praying and talking about the values of our freedom and the values of our Christian heritage. I'm very encouraged when I see uh, more and more uh, writers writing on this subject, even acknowledging that uh, without being Christians, they're saying we acknowledge the value of our Christian heritage and the fact that all our freedoms and all our rights and our institutions have come from our Christianity and from the teachings of Jesus. That's where our values come from. Even though they're not Christians, they can recognize the value of it. So I'm encouraged when I see people writing, but we need so much more. We need um, a real revival in the churches. We need young people especially to start getting interested in things like apologetics and, uh, and just learning how to, to um, graciously defend their faith because the people who are attacking our faith, they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, they've been going through this long march through the institutions. They've been following their programs to undermine Christianity, and they've done an excellent job. They're way ahead of us, but it's not over yet here. And, um, you know, we just need it. We really need the churches to be emboldened and uh, to be revived. And as you've been talking there, no doubt 
those listeners who've listened intently to what you've just said. It really is a call to prayer as well uh, for a church that's alive and kicking and perhaps a little more kicking emphasis might be a useful thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on the idea that, uh, that you know, it perhaps is there's a difference between being nice and being good and being good sometimes means uh, you've got to get a little bit more aggressive with your faith. Yes, I think, to be honest, I think if the church is anything, it's a bit befuddled, like it's bemused. It's been floating so comfortably uh, in the centre of mainstream culture for so long that all of a sudden it, it seems, even though it hasn't happened all of a sudden, it feels like it's happened all of a sudden. We go back to the old frog in the, in the pot analogy where you sit there and you don't realise that everything's changing around you and then all of a sudden, bang, you realise it has. And it's, uh, and it's serious and it's upon you. you know, like, like the tsunami, you know, it just builds and builds and builds and then it's upon you. So that's where we are and I think many in the church are just befuddled they're not prepared. So they've got um, people, you know, uh, saying things about Christianity, saying things about the church and the Bible, and they can't answer them because they haven't been uh, prepared through their life. You know, they're befuddled. They have to start reading all over again. And, you know, the, Jesus was full of grace and truth. I love that. And we who follow Jesus have to be the same. We have to know the truth and we have to be full of grace. Grace and truth together all the time. And, uh, and then we just leave it in God's hands and we pray and we pray and we pray that he'll take it and he'll use it for his glory. Elizabeth Kendall, so good getting your insights and uh, so many listeners will be applying some of those thoughts to not only what's happening in China and Vietnam, as you've been talking, but also, as you say, things happening in Australia right now which make us a little uncomfortable. I'll mention that you are the Director of Advocacy for the Canberra-based outfit called Christian Faith and Freedom. You're also an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at Melbourne School of Theology, and uh, people can be in touch with the Melbourne School of Theology and find out those courses that they can participate in and even get prepared in some of these areas. You've authored two books. I'll mention Turn Back the Battle. Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today, which offers a biblical response to persecution and existential threat. And your most recent book is called After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. There is a website at which you can access not only some of the details about the articles that Elizabeth writes, but also the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin. Go to elizabethkendall.com. That's elizabethkendall.com. Elizabeth, thanks so much for taking time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. And thanks for having me again, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.